Zimmerman's got it. That's a double play. It's going to be a triple play. Unbelievable. This could be a double play, if not a triple play. It is. Three outs. One swing of the bat. And around the horn they go. Jones, Tavares, to Galarraga. How about that for getting out of a jam? Third, second, yes. triple play. How about that? Hello, everybody, and welcome to our newest episode of the Triple Play Podcast. We are back after a small hiatus. I am your host, Wyatt Street, joined, as always, by my incredible co-host. Guys, introduce yourselves. Uh, Josh, I forgot we had a podcast, Strickland. And Bradley, wait, what show is this again, Kendall? (laughs) 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 How are we going to turn a triple play if we can't turn a single play right now with this show? (laughs) I... I know, right? It's bad. Yeah, this is... <laughs> uh, we've been away from your ears for a while, guys. Sorry about that. Uh, life happens, but we are back to talk about some off-season stuff. Uh, so we're going to jump right into everything. We've got some awards, major hires, and we're going to preview slightly free agency. That's our breakdown of this show. So if that doesn't interest you, listen anyway, because you're already here. Um, so we're going to go ahead and start uh, first before we get into everything, actually. It's been a while, so how are you guys doing? Oh, you know, I'm fine. Everything's good. Um, you know, best rotation in baseball. It's fine. It's fine. We're good. We're good. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, Josh, based on that tone and that, that mood you just set there, it sounds like you're not doing okay. <laughs> I'm a little yeah, concerned. That wasn't all very right, convincing, right, oh. my guy. All right, all right. We'll, we'll talk about free agency later, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not that hyped about Charlie Morton. going to be honest with you. Yeah, you know, it's Thanksgiving and Christmas, and Josh is over here like, I'm fine. It's, it's, things, are, things are great. I'm fine. <laughs> Never it's bad. Sad, you know. um, <laughs> dude, I'll tell you what. Like, If this was like five years ago, I wouldn't be able to blame you. But I think Morton, I mean, not to get too into this, but I think Morton was a great addition for y'all. I think you should be ecstatic to have Charlie Morton in your, bullpen, in your uh, rotation now. Well, I'm, a, I'm, ecstatic. I'm ecstatic to have a, like, a pitcher with a pulse. <laughs> In our another pitcher with a pulse in our rotation, uh, he's going to do much better than the other guys we had up <laughs> during yeah. this season. So, uh, him and Drew Smiley, which I forgot played baseball <laughs> until we signed him. We finally got someone in the rotation that's older than twenty three and actually has a couple years of experience now. <laughs> yeah, and it's Charlie Clutch too. So once you're in the playoffs, man, you're set in Game Seven. I, I saw someone posted on Twitter because Charlie Morton used to play for the Braves. Um, someone showed the last lineup that Charlie Morton started for the Braves with, and it had like Raphael for call, Jeff Francoeur, Brian yeah. McCain, McCann, and uh, Chipper Jones. <laughs> I was just like, oh. oh God, that is a blast the good from the old past. Days. And the only one still standing is Charlie the- Morton. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie wow. Morton, y'all. Oh, good times. Well, let's go ahead and jump right into these awards. Uh, we're going to start... And we're going to break these down for you. So uh, we're going to, you know, I don't think this will take too long with us, but we're going to start with the Silver Sluggers. And uh, I don't think there's going to be too much disagreement, I guess. I mean, there's only so much we can do. But uh, a quick rundown in the American League. Um, Salvador Perez at catcher. Jose Abreu at first. DJ LeMahieu at second. Uh, Jose Ramirez at third. Tim Anderson at short. The outfield, Mike Trout, Teoscar Hernandez, and Eloy Jimenez. And at DH... Good old Nelson Cruz. Uh, for the National League, catcher Travis Darno, 
First base, Freddie Freeman. Second base, Donovan Solano. Third, Manny Machado. Shortstop, Fernando Tatis. Outfielders, Juan Soto, Mookie Betts, Ronald Acuna, and DH, Marcel Ozuna. Um, uh, it's still, so, it's still weird having a DH for the NL, but anyways. Yeah, I don't like it. Like, this is our first year that we haven't had a pitcher, uh, Silver Slugger, and that upsets me. Um, but alas, let's start with you, Josh, because I noticed a lot of Braves on this NL Silver Slugger list. So what are your thoughts on these, uh... Silver Sluggers here. I mean, it makes sense to have the Braves on there. Braves had the second best offense in the league this year, arguably the best. But, you know, I'm not going to talk about the Braves. I'm here to talk about Nelson Cruz, who's 40 years old and hit 303 and has no has not slowed down at all. That is amazing. I mean, he's hit almost 400 home runs since 2009 Stuff like that. I mean, I think it's crazy that Nelson Nelson Cruz is still producing at the level that he is at 40 years old. And then another one that I was kind of, I wasn't expecting to see him, but uh, hold on, I need to scroll up. (laughs) I wasn't expecting to see him, but Donovan Solano for the Giants winning. I I wasn't expecting that, mostly because I didn't pay attention to the Giants at all this year, because why would I? So, you know, happy for him, though, having a having to break out a little bit there. Yeah, at this point, they just tell Mike Trout, you know, we don't, we're not going to even make you another Silver Slugger award. Just keep this other seven you've got. Because he's he's on number eight right now, which is kind of crazy to think about. And, like, absolutely stud. Like, he absolutely deserves it. But I'm just looking at these guys, like, yeah, guys, like, in there for their first ones or second ones maybe. And then you see the outlier, Mike Trout, eight. <laughs> it's like, good gosh. It's crazy. Yeah, he's got twice as many as the next highest winners. Nelson Cruz and Mookie Betts are tied for second among all of these winners at four. And then there's Mike Trout at eight. Mike (laughs) Trout only trails Barry Bonds for the most all-time for Silver Sluggers. And he's going to do it cleanly, too. Yeah, and he's at a position that, like, there's a lot of different candidates, too. Like, I get it. Like, a lot of these, like, you know, LeMahieu's probably going to win it most years because it's second base. Like, there are some good hitters, but he's clearly the best. Trout, there's a ton of outfielders in the AL that could easily win this award, and yet he still produces and does it every year. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's insane, and especially because like a down year for Mike Trout is like a year a lot of other guys would like kill to have. You know, it's it's insane. Um, and, and it's like, and another thing with Mike Trout too, it's like the whole LeBron MVP thing in the NBA, where it's like whether or not he wins it everybody knows he's the best player and he's always in contention. Like it's the same thing for Mike Trout in, in the American league. Um, but I want to shout out for my thing that I'm going to look at here is like a couple of these guys that like, this is their first year winning. It's kind of weird to think about that. It's like Fernando Tatis, uh, Juan Soto. It's like, I know these guys are all young, Tim Anderson, you know, but it's like weird to think that like, the offensive years they've had, they haven't won one before. Even Ma- Manny Machado at third base, like yeah, I was gonna say Machado is the big one. Yeah, Machado. Like I know he's always been known more for his exceptional defense, but he's always been pretty good with the bat too. So it's kind of weird to think that like he hasn't won one yet, and he's been around for quite a bit of time now to have potentially won one. You know, unlike Tatis or Soto, who this is only their like second, third years in the league, like. Yeah, it's surprising they have a 1-1 as good as they are at the plate, but also they haven't had as much time. But, like, Machado's been around for a hot second now and hasn't won one, and that's kind of weird to think about. But, like, hey, and also, like, 
I was about to say something like, I'm surprised Freddie Freeman's only got two, but like when you think about it, the first base in the National League is kind of stacked. It is. So yeah. it's that that's a tough ask over there, but like, you know, um, I mean, everybody's really deserving here. I mean, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Solano is kind of the name that really jumps out is like, where did he come from? Um, but like you mentioned with the American League, Bradley, it's like second base in both leagues is really more of a, a defensive position. You know, the, the hitting there is not always uh, what you think of. You, when you think of the second baseman, you're not always usually thinking of like the exceptional hitting of those uh, of those players. I, I think the most surprising first out of all of these first is Tim Anderson for the White Sox, mostly because he won the AL batting title last year, and apparently he didn't win a silver slugger, which makes no yeah, sense that's a good to point. me. <laughs> I completely forgot he won the batting title last year. Who won the silver slugger at shortstop last year then? Hold on. Oh, boy. Was it Correa, maybe? Yeah, that would be that would make sense. I'm I'm gonna find out. Let's I'm I'm googling it right now. Come on, justice for the guys that love to hit average, man. <laughs> yeah, that's like cruel. What? Shortstop Xander Bogarts. Oh, okay. Oh, come on. What? Uh, he did have a good year, though. Yeah, he had career best in OPS, doubles, home runs, and RBIs. So I guess they gave him the nod for the other categories. I. And now nobody will ever remember that Sandra Bogarts won a silver slugger, but we will remember that Tim Anderson did not win. <laughs> yeah, but apparently that was that was Xander Bogarts' third silver slugger. Oh wow, wow, that's surprising. He won it in fifteen, sixteen, and then nineteen. Oh, okay. Well, shows what we know that's about the silver slugger. Surprising. Yeah, <laughs> I think the most surprising for me was um, Salvador Perez. I mean, I know he's a good hitter and all, but winning his third and coming off of Tommy John too from twenty nineteen, yeah. missed the whole year during a you know. COVID starts the season up. He's probably not as fresh as he would have been getting into the season and proceeds as, as a 30-year-old catcher to hit 333 um, and probably have the best season of his career so far. And at the end of his career, too, because, like, he's getting older. You know, he's in the twilight. And also how, you, how Josh, you were talking about Charlie Morton being, like, the last surviving guy of that Braves lineup. Like, you talk about that Royals World Series winning squad. Perez is the lone remaining survivor from that team. Like he's the last guy left on that team. Um, everyone else has either left baseball or moved on to a different club. So he's all by his lonesome there. And for him to still be carrying this race squad, kind of um, leading the next generation, if you will, and doing it in really good fashion. That's pretty cool to see. Oh, no doubt. And it is weird to think he's only 30. Like, I know that's like still kind of old for a catcher, but when I think Salvador Perez, it seems like he's like 38. <laughs> Wait, he's only 30? I thought he was going to be like 34, 35. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you what? would think Morton and Salvador Perez would be the exact same age. But he's only 30. Wow. All right, never mind. Maybe I need to rescind my <laughs> Twilight of his career comment. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he is a catcher though. So like yeah. sometimes guys that are playing catcher don't last till like, you know, 38, 39 unless you're Yachty. Yeah, which that's an exception to the rule. Yeah. But that's all for the Silver Sluggers. Let's uh, move on to a different medal uh, kind of thing. It's uh, the Gold Glove Award winners. Now, we're going to move from hitting to defense. Um, again, I don't think there's going to be too much to discuss here. Uh, but for the American League, at pitcher, uh, Griffin Canning. Uh, catcher, Roberto Perez. First base, Evan White. Second base, Cesar Hernandez. Third base, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. I hope I pronounced that properly. 
Shortstop, J.P. Crawford. Left field, Alex Gordon. Um, center field, Luis Robert. And right field, Joey Gallo. For the National League, uh, it was Max Freed at pitcher. Catcher, Tucker Barnhart. First base, Anthony Rizzo. Second base, Colton Wong. Third base, shocker, Nolan Arenado. Shortstop, shocker, Javier Baez. Uh, and then the outfield left to right was Tyler O'Neill, Trent Grisham, and Mookie Betts. Um, Bradley, we'll start with you on the defense here. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, you obviously see a lot of guys you probably have never heard of. You don't follow baseball very religiously. Um, I've always wondered, and I, I always think about this pretty much every year that they announce this award, but I really am curious the thought process that goes behind picking a pitcher to win the gold glove. I feel like all it takes is to get on top 10 like maybe once and just to not make any crucial errors during the season. I'm always really curious how they decide that award because it seems like it's just kind of random like, oh, we'll give it to Max Free this year. Why not? He didn't make any mistakes. <laughs> Basically, I feel like they probably go, all right, who are the guys that made zero errors at pitcher? And out of those guys, who had the most plays they were involved in? Exactly. Yeah. Like... <laughs> I do. I do want to know and like, the pro, like the process of actually choosing the pitcher Gold Glove award because, like, is it just a bunch of guys? I, I know it's like baseball writers and stuff like that, but do they actually pay that much attention to the pitching defensive prowess? You know, I don't know. I mean, you got to think it's just all stats. It has to be, yeah. It's, I mean, there's not many highlights <laughs> like defensive runs saved and stuff like that. Yeah, and I, I bet you, like, because a lot of it, I know in the past, I think Granky's won it a few times, the guys that always, when they finish their motions, are, like, facing the catcher, like, very, very squarely, those are the guys that usually have, like, the best chance to field ground balls, so it's yeah. kind of easy to tell, like, just based on watching a guy, like, yeah, he's probably going to win a, a gold glove as a pitcher, maybe at some point. Yeah, and that's another thing, like, because I remember being a kid, like, my dad, when he was coaching and teaching all of our pitchers, like, when you finish your windup, got to be square to field the ball, like... Right. Because you see some guys, they just like chuck it, and then they're like three quarters of the way their back is turned to like the pit to the batter, and it's like if a ball comes back up the box, dude, you're screwed. Oh yeah, I mean we're probably the main stat that they're going off. It's just like you know defensive runs saved or just like fielding percentage. Yeah. Because other than that, I mean, unless you just make a bunch of Bartolo Colon like behind the back tosses from the <laughs> from the foul line, like it's not going to be much much discrepancies. No. So uh, for me, the interesting ones I saw: Alex Gordon capping off his uh, capping off his career as he announced his retirement. He caps it off with a fourth consecutive Gold Glove, which is his second four-year Gold Glove streak in his career, as he had four from 2011 to 2014. So good for Alex Gordon. And another one, uh, Jolie Gallo. He's more known for his bat, but he had the second most defensive runs saved out of everyone on this list. Uh, first was of course Arenado, so good for Joey Gallo. Yeah, I I was also gonna shout out Gallo because like everybody always talks about his offense, and I'll be the first one here to admit I didn't even know he was that good of a defensive player, honestly. Um, but apparently he's really good out there and right. Um, I wanted to shout out uh to uh again it's kind of similarly to um the Silver Sluggers in that. Alex Gordon and Javier, uh, not Javier, uh, Nolan Arenado both have eight of these Gold Glove awards, um, which not quite double the next guy because Mookie Betts has five. But I mean, still, it's one of those things that's, I mean, they are just always on these lists. And Gordon having two straight, uh, two separate four year stints, 
more impressive one, though, Arenado has just won it eight straight years. He won his That's first in crazy. 2013, and he's been on this list every single year since. And that is just absurd to me. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see when he finally doesn't win this award, uh, who the guy is that's going to knock him off of this list. And that I want to know. Um, I also want to shout out too. I didn't realize Javier Baez has never won the gold glove award before. This is his first one. That's the thing that strikes wow. me. Like, cause Javier Baez, like he's a decent, like when we talk about his offensive production, really the thing that people talk about the most is like his base running ability and his ability to like avoid tags sliding. But like, He's more known for how exceptional he is at at defense. Like his nickname, El Mago, the magician, is mainly because of how incredible he is on defense. And like um, the fact that this is his first gold glove, that's kind of weird to me. Yeah, that is surprising too. And I think one of the things that also stood out, not only that, but the fact that the Rays didn't have a single player make it. I mean, yeah. I know they don't have like, you know, they have Kevin Kiermaier that's made it. I think he's won three times. And a couple other good defenders, but they had the best defensive team pretty much all of baseball, and ended up making the World Series at the best year they've had in a while. Um, and usually, you do see a guy from Tampa on here, and then normally they're they're kind of known for their shifting, but they've always been a really good defensive team. To not have a single player, I thought that was kind of surprising. Yeah, that is pretty weird. I do want to shout out my boy Tucker Barnhart. Uh, I have to second second Gold Glove there for the Reds. Well deserved. Yeah, well deserved. Well deserved. Yeah. The Reds, we always tend to have a pretty good defensive catcher uh, following in the footsteps there of Johnny Bench, although still can't hold a candle to Johnny because Tucker can't hit all that great. <laughs> but It was interesting that the, uh, the NL Central had, looks like five, six, five players on this list for all the NL Gold Glove winners. So I think it was mainly all Cubs and Cardinals and then one Reds, but yeah. a lot of representation from the Central. The Central, I mean, hey, they got four teams in the playoffs. I don't know the actual stat on this. I might look it up for the next show and I'll update you guys, but I'm pretty sure Braves pitcher wins the Gold Glove Award at least every other year. It just feels like it. <laughs> Ooh, I'll have to look this up. Yeah, you're definitely going to have to report this back to us next time, Josh. I'm, I'm curious on that one now. Uh, but let's let's keep this moving. Let's move on. Uh, to the Cy Youngs, this one I think is going to be pretty straightforward because I think we all knew exactly how this was going to play out. The American League, Shane Bieber, unsurprisingly, after winning the Triple Crown. Um, and then Trevor Bauer in the National League after his impressive career year. Uh, so real quick, we'll start off with you, Josh. I mean, I, this is pretty straightforward, I'd say, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much everything is straightforward. I mean, I had Shane Bieber winning Cy Young, so I'm not surprised by that. Uh, well, if you want to be technical, before the season, I did not expect Freddie Freeman to have the season he did. So that's kind of a surprise at MVP. But uh, pretty much cut and dry. I mean, you kind of have an argument for Jose Ramirez, but that's about it. Uh, it wasn't as close as I thought it was going to be. I thought NL was going to be a little closer because Mookie Betts and uh, Tatis had a lot of momentum throughout the whole season. But they kind of, uh, Tatis at least, kind of, drifted out of the race towards the end of the year while Freddie Freeman just kept getting hotter and hotter. So, I mean, it's pretty cut and dry in my opinion. Trevor Bauer had a great year, of course. So, you know, right choices were made. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can argue any of these. I was actually kind of surprised that Bauer won it. I know, I know we kind of all agree that he was probably the most deserving, but just on name alone, I thought you Darvish was going to be the one that ended up winning it, especially because like, he hadn't really performed well the last few years and then just got off to such a hot start. 
Bauer seemed to always be the guy that would eventually creep up and catch him. But I didn't think he would actually get the popular vote in the end for it. So I was happy for you, Wyatt. Just happy to see him yeah. do it because I thought he was most deserving by far. Um, and then I don't think you could really argue with Brayu. Freeman might have been a little bit arguable because, again, like Josh said, you had a couple guys that were vying for that position. But I think the AL was cut and dry. And then the NL, you really couldn't go wrong with anybody that you had in there. Uh, I was glad to see that some of the guys that won it, like Freeman, aren't your typical like Mookie Betts or like big name guys that you would go to, like Manny Machado or Tatis. Like Freeman was the most consistent hitter all year and rightfully so deserved what he got. Yeah. Um, I just realized I didn't mention the MVPs. Jose Abreu, American League, Freddie Freeman, National League. Like, I, I honestly, Bradley, I'm going to be the opposite way. I thought the NL was more cut and dry. Like I felt really the only argument you had in the NL was like Marcelo Zuna just because he came like just a smidge away from the triple crown there, surprisingly at the end. But uh, Freddie Freeman was the most consistent overall guy throughout the course of the season. Ozuna really stepped it up at the end there and just didn't have enough time to kind of overtake Freddie. Um, Jose Abreu, I thought there might have been a little bit more argument um, with his Jose compadre of uh, Jose Ramirez, but uh, I think Abreu was the right choice there. Shane Bieber, I mean, anybody who says Bieber didn't deserve the Cy Young Award in the American League is just wrong. Like, I respect your wrong opinion, but you're wrong. Um Bauer, I think the thing, honestly, that might have helped Bauer, uh, commenting off of your Udarvish argument, Bradley, is uh, I think the thing that helped Bauer might have been, like, the team success overall. Like, the Cubs controlled that division pretty much the entire year. So I think maybe you could make the argument that, like, without Darvish, the Cubs still would have had a really, really good year. But the argument that without Bauer, especially the role he played in leading the Reds charge to get into the playoffs and sneak in at the end there that without Bauer the Red season isn't what it is and that sometimes kind of plays into into this because it's supposed to be like a sometimes the voters kind of take into account like well how much of a value did you have to your team like most valuable player to your team and the Cy Young is supposed to be like the pitcher most valuable player in a sense so that might have been a factor in that I think and I'm glad that actually happened because you don't see that a lot in some of these awards, especially when it comes to like most valuable whatever you're voting for. That's I'm glad they did that because, again, like I think if you looked at just team success as a whole and you use that as you know sort of the, the barometer of why we should give this one guy the award versus the other, you probably should give it to Darvish because, like you said, like the Cubs control the division. But when it came down to it, I think Bowers like last month of the year when the Reds had to do well – yeah, that I think is what did it for him. And I was glad to see that they kind of awarded that based on that. And we also talked to like to kind of bring college football into this, like a Heisman moment, right? Like we talk about like Heisman winners and they have their Heisman moment when they like solidify that campaign and like why they're supposed to win the award kind of thing. Like I think for a similar factor, like Trevor Bauer, his Cy Young moment, if you will, was I think it was Kansas City, him throwing a complete game shutout. Um, in a complete dominant fashion to kind of kick off the Reds' playoff push there at the end and start like a winning streak or whatever. I think like that kind of um, – and it was on like three or four days rest too. Like that was the big thing. Um, I think that was when he really like solidified that Cy Young campaign and, and showed everyone like, yeah, I'm the best pitcher in the National League this year. I deserve this award. And the voters – the voters listened. So now uh, that's all we have for the awards. Fun stuff there. Uh, let's move on now 
to some history here in Major League Baseball and sports in general as the Miami Marlins uh, have a new general manager. They have hired Kim Ang. Um, it is pronounced Ang. I looked that up. Um, she is the first female uh, general manager in not just Major League Baseball history, but the four major American sports. Um, she's the first female general manager in all of those and the first Asian-American general manager in MLB history as well. So two huge firsts there for Kim Ang. Um, and a huge, uh, huge hire, very impressive, very well-deserved, and long overdue. Um, so this is really important uh, to talk about. And, and Josh, let's, let's start off with you on this history-breaking hire. I mean, it makes sense. I'm actually very terrified of the Marlins and the Mets because they got a new owner. But I, I mean, the NL East is getting way more competitive than I'm comfortable with. But I mean, she she has she has the resume. I mean, she should have got this job like 10 years ago based off her resume. And I actually think this job is kind of a step down for her resume because, I mean, she's coming from senior vice president of baseball operations for the whole league. And she's coming down to become a GM. But of course, you got to break the first glass ceiling before you go to another one. Cause I actually think she could become the commissioner of baseball if she really wanted to, or at least the president of baseball operations, if she really wanted to, um, she's only 52. So she has plenty of time to go way more up the la- up the ladder. I mean, like I said, she could potentially be commissioner of baseball if she really wanted to with this resume. Uh, she, she won like what five world series or something like that. She was with, it was a three with the Yankees. Yeah. Three. Sorry. Yeah, three with the Yankees. She was on the Yankees during their dynasty era there in the late 90s, which, you know, makes me hate her, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> but uh, she, what a resume. I mean, working with the Dodgers. I mean, that wasn't the Dodgers' like best time, but like still working with the Yankees and the Dodgers. Those are two huge baseball names. Uh, and she's worked with them and had success, found success in most of them. So, you know, very deserving. Good for her. And I think if we voted right now, we would all take her over Rob Manford. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, It'd be a, land, a landslide a vote. <laughs> and I think it's crazy, too. Like, you said it was long overdue. She actually, I think, tried to get a job 15 years ago as a GM. She interviewed mm-hmm. with the Dodgers in 05. Um, and it actually tried to do it five times as well. She tried to uh, – she interviewed five different times to be a GM. So – Definitely long overdue for her. I mean, you just look at this illustrious resume she's got. It's crazy to look back at like the history of it and see when she was 21, I think she got a job as like in the White Sox organization. Like you just think about going from that, excuse me, working your way up. I mean, the number of people that she's gotten to interact with just in baseball in general, just over the years, she's seen a lot of different things and been around for a lot of different great organizations. So, um, I mean, definitely well-deserving. I didn't even know she had any of this like any of this resume before she got hired. At first, I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." Like, I'm I'm curious like what her background is. And then I looked, I was like, "Oh my gosh, she's definitely definitely deserving of this." Yeah, like she she started as an intern in 1990 with the White Sox. She was with the White Sox front office until 1996. Worked in the American League front office in '97. Won uh, three World Series with the New York Yankees uh, between 1998 and 2001 as their assistant GM. Um, then went to the Dodgers from 02 to 11 as their vice president and assistant GM. And then was the MLB senior vice president of the baseball operations from 2011 to 2020. And now will be serving as the general manager of the Miami Marlins for the foreseeable future. A incredible resume. And I think, you know, if 
if this were the resume of any like male candidate, she would have probably gotten a general manager role after like 2001, maybe. After winning three World Series with the New York Yankees, you know, like or she definitely wouldn't have got she probably would have got it in 05 with that first interview. So huge, huge hire uh, to see her finally like take this step forward. Um, kudos to the Marlins for finally giving her this well-deserved opportunity um, that she 100% earned. Because I think I've been seeing through the comparisons of like it took her 20 extra years than Theo Epstein to get a to get an opportunity at being a general manager or something like that. It was either 10 or 20. I can't remember which number, but regardless, I mean this is huge. Um, and to show like all the young women out there who potentially like may not have thought that they would have had this opportunity in baseball to show them like, Hey, if you really want this, go out there and work for it. You can get it now. Yeah. And the fact she's an Asian American too. I think that even mm -hmm. that speaks even, even more wonders because there's such a baseball market in Asia in general, but for the Asian American community, like they love baseball and to see not only one of their own, but a woman do it as well. Like it's incredible to witness. Um, and it'll be, I mean, that's a great hire for Jeter. I mean, yeah. talking about making moves. I mean, he's in the last few years, you know, really risen the Marlins out from the bottom of the, the cellar of the entire league. And now they do something like this. It's it's really cool to witness. Guys, I am terrified of the NL East. That and uh, I've been seeing too, like she's working now with two guys that she's um had experience working with before. She, we talk about Derek Jeter, you know, when she was with the Yankees, Jeter was shortstop. And when she was with the Dodgers, the Don Mattingly um, was with them. So like... You know, she's got – she she's not only gotten all this great experience from the people she's she's worked with um, in the past, but now she's got some familiar faces that she's able to work with currently that make her job a little bit easier and that make this transition into this job a little bit easier as well. Um, so that's got to be huge for her. And, you know, this, this is a huge step for the Marlins. Like, we talk about that. Like, this is showing that this organization now is is really trying and they're moving forward and they're like – this isn't some like higher. Um, I know. I know. There's been some people out there who have been trying to say, "Oh, well, this is just a publicity stunt." Yeah, look at her resume, dude. Like, no, this is a legitimate. Like, we want to win. We want to win now, and she's the best person for this job hire, and that is great. Will be very interesting to see how she does during free agency, though. Yeah, um, huge free agent class, huge free agent market. So I mean, the Mar the the Marlins have a decent base there. Like, they got good. They got a decent base in pitching. Stuff like that. They just kind of need more power hitter. They just need more hitters in general. So I mean, they had a they had a hot start this year. I don't know how that will. I don't know how that will translate to a full season. But uh, I mean, there's plenty of bats on the market for her to get. Yeah, she's stepping into a ripe opportunity. I mean, you got a mm -hmm. young team that has a lot of leverage and a lot of opportunities to to make some big splashes, if we if we may say. Um, I think I think she's got a great opportunity here in a in a very competitive division, um, at a you know team that really overperformed last year. So I'd be interested in year one. You know, she's I don't, I wouldn't say there's a lot of pressure, but after their performance last year, I mean, there's going to be some expectations. Yeah, and um, I think uh, I think she's going to do a good job. I mean, like like you said, this is the perfect op like this is the perfect free agent class for her to start off with because there's plenty of guys out there like you can make a splash or two. Um, the Marlins, I'm sure they've got plenty of money to spend in terms of like they're not really paying anybody on their team all that much right now because it's all a bunch of young dudes. Um, so there's this is like the perfect uh, opportunity for her to like really like 
make some moves and do some good stuff and move this team forward. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, the only annoying thing with baseball free agency is it just slowly develops. So it might be a while before we see any moves um, from her or from anybody really. Uh, so we will keep an eye on that. But um, I'm very excited to see uh, what Aang's going to do with Miami. Um, and I am very happy that we are able to witness this huge piece of history. Uh, so this is awesome. But since we've been talking about free agency, let's move this forward now to that and uh, kind of give a light preview of free agency. We're not going to get fully into free agency here today. We're going to save that for a full free agency special episode uh, that we'll do presumably next week uh, whenever we can, uh, where we'll give our predictions and such and kind of break things down more in depth. But real quick, we'll lightly touch on it. And we'll start with this question that I want to ask you guys, because I got two questions I want to ask. First, um, what is the biggest storyline to follow within free agency? And let's start with you, Bradley. You know, it's, an, it's a very good question because I think there's a lot of different moving parts here. I'll start with one that might not get answered during free agency, but I think will actually severely impact who goes after what player. And we kind of referenced it earlier. Will the NL finally fully adopt the DH? Because if they don't, you got guys on the market right now, Ozuna, Nelson Cruz, that are going to be looking for homes. You want a Cespedes? And if the NL does not have a DH, that probably is going to impact where some of these guys land in terms of just, you know, AL or NL. <laughs> um, so I think that's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, I would say, you know, the easy one is to say where it's Trevor Bauer go. I mean, <laughs> NL Cy Young winner. The Padres are looking at him. I know the Reds hopefully will re- re-sign him. I know you're hoping for that, Wyatt. But Fingers crossed. Um, he's going to make huge, huge impact wherever he goes. Um, and then for me, I, I won't get ahead of myself here with the – which team has the most to gain or the most pressure on themselves. But I'm curious to see what the Astros do after a really up and down year. They've got a, a couple guys now that for the first time you could say in a, a couple years, the Astros might have some of their core moving around. So I'll be very interested to see what, what Houston does with sort of a lot of different pieces. They, they can move right now, bringing guys in, moving guys out. I think the team's going to look a lot different. So I'm really curious to see how that goes. Uh, mine two main stories. One is the New York Mets. As I've mentioned multiple times in this podcast, they got a new owner and he seems excited and he wants the Mets to compete right now. Uh, so I think the Mets are going to be big, big uh, buyers in this free agency here. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they do everything, especially since that guy has lots of money to spend. So you know, the Mets are going to be an interesting watch there. Another thing I'm interested in is the DH situation for the National League. Now, I know more more likely the DH is probably not going to get enacted until at least 2021 or 2022. Um, but it is very interesting because a lot of teams are kind of waiting on MLB's official decision for the 2021 season about the DH. Like the Braves, they're kind of waiting on Marcelo Zuna. Uh, Michael Brantley's a DH, a big... DH on um, free agency. Nelson Cruz is also a big DH. I mean, these guys are kind of their market could expand big time if the National League allowed the DH for now on. Uh, I know there's a lot of people against that, but I'm just saying that's a big story to follow because a lot of National League teams, they would need a DH all of a sudden. And some teams like the Braves, they don't know if they need to keep Marcelo Zuna because good Lord, I do not need to see Marcelo Zuna play in the outfield again. So, so that, that's a big storyline there, uh, the DH situation just in general. Yeah, that's, that's huge because um, that's going to definitely impact how everybody uh, goes about things. Um, 
I think, obviously, I would say the biggest storyline, like, in terms of any one individual free agent is definitely Trevor Bauer because he's he's the main guy on the market. And when we talk about, I mentioned how uh, free agency is, is slow to develop. Usually there's a domino that falls, right? Like, that seems to be how it goes every year is one domino falls and then everybody else goes after that because that one domino kind of sets the tone for the market. And I think Bowers this year's domino. Like, I don't think we're really going to see too much outside of, like, smaller name guys, smaller moves. Like, your major free agents probably aren't signing until Bauer does because all of your teams are focusing on trying to get that guy. That's their guy. And Bowers being the guy, it's it's going to set the market. So I think that's kind of your biggest storyline in that regard. Um, but also, you know, I think the Mets are good. We've talked about the Marlins here with Aang. And I think... Honestly, another thing that I thought of is I'm excited to see what the Padres might do because you're now in a division with the Dodgers. You're having to compete with that juggernaut of a team. You had an incredible year last year. You've got this young squad. You could stand to maybe improve it a little bit. I'm curious to see what, if anything, they might do in free agency to kind of take that next step forward. Kind of how we talked about the Marlins, you know, what steps they might take. The Padres are a little further along in that. They're definitely further along in that regard. So, like, I'm curious to see what steps they take to kind of continue to compete with that juggernaut that is the Los Angeles Dodgers. You're defending World Series champions, which I didn't think I'd be saying anytime soon based on the past. But I'm going to be keeping an eye on on, uh, the fathers out there. Yeah, especially with Clevenger not going to be there for the 2021 season. They're going to have a lot, a lot of question marks uh, going forward. I think one of the teams that not really a lot of guys are talking about, and I think because they haven't really had a lot of guys move around the last few years, but the Cubs – the Cubs are really interesting because yeah. I've heard so many reports of people saying, well, the Cubs, you know, now that Epstein is gone, they're just going to completely rebuild and just tear everything down. We're talking about a team that won the NL Central last year pretty easily. Made the playoffs, obviously didn't move anywhere after that, but, I mean, they got a lot of great guys, a lot of great players. Schwarber, I know, is on the move now. People have reported that um, Chris Bryant might be going to the Nationals. Like, I don't think anyone knows where the Cubs have for them going forward, whether it be to stay put or to potentially move guys around. So uh, this team could either look the exact same or look vastly different, and they could be a losing ball club next year. Like, I have no idea. So I'm, I'm curious because I think that's going to impact with some of the players they have. That's going to impact a lot of different teams in the NL. I mean, the Cubs are really on free fall right now. Yesterday they lost a huge person uh, in free agency. They lost their radio play-by-play guy to the White Sox. <laughs> The, the Cubs radio oh, yeah. play-by-play guy took the White Sox job, so they're, they're just losing everybody right now. The poor Cubs. <laughs> so the Crosstown Rivals. Oh, yeah. Right, that's a big oof right there. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, oof, Cu- the Cubs yeah. got a lot of issues, and Wyatt, I know we're kind of treading into the next question you have. Sorry, but we, we see the script too. Uh, <laughs> that's why I make it, so you guys can be prepared. Go ahead and ask uh, it. Which I guess, yeah, I'll go ahead and ask it. So uh, the, the the final question I had for you guys was which contending team has the most work to do? And I know contending is a, a term that could be hard to define. You could define it as the teams that were in the playoffs last year, teams that just missed. You know, technically it could be all 30 teams, whatever. But which contending team do you think has the most work to do and – Go ahead, Josh. Let's let's get this uh, ball rolling. Okay, so uh, Bradley touched on it earlier. I think the Houston Astros are a huge issue here because uh, George Springer's a free agent. Michael Brantley's a free agent. Uh, Verlander is a question mark. Uh, 
And then, of course, they got Correa. They offered Correa. Correa hasn't accepted it yet. It's been like two days. That's, uh, you know, you don't know what's going on there. They're losing a lot of their core. And for a pretty subpar regular season they had last year, it's not looking very good for them at the moment. So it's going to be very interesting to see the Astros. Um, so, uh, I mean, they exceeded expectations in the playoffs, of course. But during the regular season, they still struggled a they still struggled through most of it. I mean, they had a losing record pretty much. So it's going to be interesting how the Astros kind of go through that. If any team, if any player actually wants to sign with the Astros, because I know a lot of people are against the Astros right now. I mean, I know they got like a new front office and stuff like that. So that shouldn't be that big of a deal. But that, I mean, that is a question mark for free agents. Like, do you want to play for the Astros after what they did? So the Astros is definitely going to be kind of the most challenging one, in my opinion, this offseason. Yeah, I'll throw one more team in there. I know I mentioned the Cubs already and a bit on the Astros, but I think the Oakland A's um, need to do a lot because, I mean, we were talking about this team pretty much throughout the course of the latter half of the year of, you know, they got a potential to be really good. Like, they could make a run on the, at the World Series if they really put it all together, but just didn't really see much out of them in the playoffs. And I was I was a little disappointed, honestly, because I, I picked them to go far. I thought they'd do really well, and, uh, for a team that had a great regular season, you know, they sort of capitalized on the rest of their division not being all that good. Well, that's not going to be there every single year. I mean, the Astros could easily get good again. You got some other young teams in there that are looking to make moves. The Angels might figure it out eventually. I don't know. But the A's kind of have a short window here where they got a lot of opportunity. And I don't think you can put it to waste. You can't be getting knocked out first round every single year. Yeah. Um, I think you guys are right with the Astros and Cubs. Uh, definitely huge teams to follow. Uh, the A's is a really good point, Bradley, uh, because they kind of set they, – they're the ones who brought along this whole Moneyball concept and strategy. And then we look at what the Rays have done, and they've kind of taken it and done it so much better than the A's ever have. Um, so they're kind of getting shown up on their own turf, if you will. Um, so definitely they have to kind of figure things out. Um I'll, I'll throw out a little bit here in that if you talk about just the teams that were in the playoffs last year, the team that definitely has the most work to do is the Brewers. But let's yeah. be real, they're not really contending. Um, they just got in by virtue. Uh, but I will throw out um, an interesting team that I'd thought of is is the Phillies. Yeah. And I know they didn't make – I don't think – but, like, you look at, like, what the moves they've made the past two years, right? And – they have a free. They have a great offseason. It's like okay, they're going to contend this year. They're going to contend, and then they don't. And then they have an offseason last year. And it's like okay, they're going to contend. They're going to contend, and then they don't. And like the pieces to start are kind of there, and it's just like nothing's really meshing. And that's a team that like the expectations continuously get set so high, and then they fall so low, and they really should be performing better than they are. So. I think they really need to have a good offseason and then turn that into a good season this year, or that spells really big trouble for them. Um, so I think there's a lot of pressure on the Philadelphia Phillies this offseason, and I think that they have a lot of work to do to make that happen. The uh, Phillies is a perfect case of stars don't make the team because mm -hmm. they got Real Muto, they got Bryce Harper, they got like these big names, but they never really put anything together. And these guys played well, it's just the rest of the team did not. Uh, their their rotation was kind of their rotation's kind of iffy once you get past the first two guys. Uh, their bullpen was awful this past season, so they really need to do a lot of work there. And other than Bryce Harper and Real Muto, there was no one that scary on their lineup. I mean, just mo most of their draft picks that they've they've had that they've been hoarding for the past like ten years or whatever. 
and most of their free agency uh, signings just never panned out. I mean, it's just an interesting situation where they built a team around two stars, but they didn't really build a team. They just kind of got the two stars and were like, okay, we got to fill in the holes now with just random dudes. So, Which is kind of what the Angels have been doing with Trout and Otani, and we're seeing very well why that strategy doesn't always work. I was going to say, that's the exact same case that's happening in New York now with the Mets. I mean, you got Syndergaard, DeGrom, Pete Alonso, and they can't get past mediocrity. I mean, I know they made the you know, World yeah. Series a few years ago, but we keep saying, oh, the Mets have the pieces. They just got to build around them. Well, they just don't. Yeah. And and the Mets is, an, is a strange case, though, because like on paper, like on paper, they have a scr- scary rotation, right? Like even Marcus Stroman and um, I think Steven Matz, like that, that's a rotation that's really, really good, you know? And like even their lineup really isn't that bad. Like on paper, that's a team that low-key could compete for the division. But for whatever it is, they always mess it up somehow, whether it's injuries or like this year, Yoenna Cespedes and the whole saga where he like just didn't show up and then like didn't tell the team he was opting out one day. Like, it, you know, like there's always something with the Mets. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did I hear you say they always mess it up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I said what I said, Bradley. They mess it up. I'm using Mets as a verb here because that's Great. the only way to explain what happens with the New York Mets is like the only way to explain it is that it's just the Mets. And like I mentioned earlier, that new owner, he wants to change all of that. So it's gonna be, that's why it's going to yeah. be interesting to see how the Mets uh, do this free agency. Yeah, when you can't find, literally like can't find one of your star players when they when Cespedes like just disappeared for like that one week, that's a problem. Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot about and, like, that. Holy cow. Yeah, and, <laughs> and what does that say about your organization that he didn't even bother to tell you that he was opting out of the season? Because like... That, to me, says more about the organization than Cespedes. Because I know you could argue, oh, well, that's just Yoenis Cespedes not caring. I think that was more of Yoenis Cespedes sticking it to the organization because there was a lot of ill feelings there. And I think that was him just saying, it's not him saying, I don't care. It's him saying, I don't care about this organization enough to give you that time of day. And I think that's why the new ownership could be huge for this team because now it shows a change potentially in the culture and a, a, a change in, like, we care more now. Yeah, and, I mean, you look at, like, the, the makeup of their team, like you said, like, it's not like it's a complete mystery how they're going to succeed. Like, they know who their big, how their best guys are, who they're going to build around. It's just a matter of trying to build the right pieces around them because, for whatever reason, they can't figure that out, and eventually you got to do it or you're going to have to let these guys walk. Yeah, and it's not like they don't have a decent foundation lead. They've got a good rotation. They've got Pete Alonzo and a, a couple of other decent pieces on their lineup. It's just a matter of filling those other holes in the lineup and solidifying your bullpen, and who knows? You might be able to contend. And this is the classic case of it's not the NBA. You can't just bulk up on stars. You actually right. need to build a team, which I love because it, it forces you to really know what you're doing. Yeah, you can't just – pull a Lakers and get LeBron and Anthony Davis and then a bunch of random nobodies who haven't been good in uh, 10 years and go, all right, we're going to win a title now. Because if it were that easy, the Angels might have a couple World Series by now <laughs> with Trout and Otani. <laughs> and that that's what I love most about watching teams like the Yankees not be able to break through because they keep spending all this money and we're always just like, Oh God, we hate when the Yankees just can like buy their players, but it's like they still can't win. <laughs> well, and that was the biggest issue with the Dodgers for the longest time there too. And 
Because it seemed like every offseason they'd go out and they'd sign this guy and that guy or they'd make this trade and that trade and they'd throw all this money at people and they'd get like ever so close and fall just short or even like uh, when the Nationals won and they didn't even make it to the World Series. It's like, you know, money doesn't solve everything. It helps a lot. I mean, clearly the Yankees have proven with 27 rings or as the Yankees fans always argue, we got 27 rings. Like, it... You know, they it can go it can take you a long way, but at a certain time, like you still have to put together a decent team. You can't just put together a team of all stars and expect them to win because if they don't play well together, they're not going to play well. And that begs the question: While we're on this topic, real quick, does anyone know what the Red Sox are going to do? I mean, are they going to buy their way out of this mess, or do they plan on like developing oh, guys internally? They're they're like, going to try. <laughs> You know, that's another good point. Because, I mean, you could look at it one way and say, oh, well, they could easily just go buy, like, five guys right now and be contenders again. But as we just said, like, that doesn't always work. So, like, what do you do? I feel like they're going to make a lot of fans mad if they actually buy their way out of this because the reason they didn't keep Mookie Betts was because they said they couldn't afford it. Right, yeah. Yeah. And then that's also you're falling into the trap of your hated rival, the Yankees. I don't think they care about that. And maybe not. I don't know. But and also another thing with the Red Sox too that they have to keep in mind is like that division is very difficult right now because the Yankees, I know they've underperformed the past few years, but that's a still that's still a very scary, very good team. The Rays are still a very, very good team. I know the offseason is going to be huge for them and whether or not they're going to be able to stay there, but they're the Rays. They're like we said, they're gonna sign like six guys we've never heard of and they're somehow going to be all-stars <laughs> and the Blue Jays is a very young up-and-coming team um I know they you know they snuck into the playoffs as the eighth seed last year but they performed very well they looked very good that core is very very good and if they can make a couple of decent moves and just continue to develop those young guys that's a team that could be contending very very soon like the Red Sox they're the fourth best team in the division by virtue of the fact that the Orioles are a glorified AAA team. And this is not an easy road ahead for them. So it's going to be curious to see their strategy for just moving up past the Blue Jays, if you will. But hey, at least Xander Bogarts won three Silver Sluggers, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and maybe that's their strategy. It's like, you know, you need something to build around, right? If you're the... If you're the Red Sox, I think you need to look at this and go, okay, so we've got Rafael Devers, we've got X-Man, these are the guys we need to build around. And I think they need to build around that, because Chris Sale is a big question mark for them. He's been out with injury, like, you know, when he comes back, you're getting the same Chris Sale, he's getting older, like, you know, how much longer can you keep relying on his left arm? Not gonna lie, I kind of forgot Chris Sale was in Boston. (laughs) He just, he hasn't really done anything. (laughs) He hasn't played in a while, I feel like. Yeah. Because he had Tommy John, I think it was. So like, yeah. so a lot of big things to follow in free agency this year. Um, and we'll get into a lot of it more so on our next episode. We'll do our big free agency preview. We'll give uh, some predictions on where we think the big names will go and what we think is going to happen. And we could delve more uh, deeper into some of these storylines. Um, but that is all we've got for this. Now, real quick before we get out of here, it's our famous triple play, guys. Uh, so let's turn it. Josh, I'll send it to you for the first out. Shout out to Ryan Tapura, Tapura, whatever, however you pronounce the name. He's a random reliever for the Chicago Cubs who got a single MVP vote because someone misclicked. Really? <laughs> Are you serious? He got a single MVP vote because uh, Rick Hummel 
who is who is a writer for the St. Louis Post Dispatch. Uh, he was trying to he was trying to vote for Trey Turner and accidentally clicked on Ryan Tepera. So good, congratulations, Ryan. Good job. My okay. God, that's hilarious. And in case you wanted to know, here's his stats for 2020. He posted a .2 WAR, 3.92 ERA. He played in 21 games, 20 innings pitched with 31 strikeouts. MVP caliber stats right there. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Oh, my God. Well, mine is not that funny, but uh, shout out to Kim Ang for making her first acquisition um, as the GM of the Marlins. Uh, They acquired reliever Adam Simber. Uh, he'll, be in the, he'll be in the bullpen now. I'd never even heard of Adam Simber, but if if anything gets sprinkled with this Kim Ang magic, he'll probably be in the running for the uh, ESPN.com Cy Young poll in the next year. <laughs> we, we'll have to keep a lookout for him. Yeah. Simber's not too bad. That's a decent addition, I would say, yeah. at least from what I know about him. So, uh, Off to a good start. I'll, yeah. I mean, hey, you guys know how much I love me a good bullpen, so I'm all for it. Um, I will finish this off with a slight, uh, overseas baseball update. Uh, we finally have a winner, uh, for the KBO, uh, the Korean baseball organization. Uh, the 2020 Korean series was won by the NC Dinos. Uh, they took down the Doosan Bears in a, uh, four to two in that seven game set, uh, one of them six games. And then the, uh, NC Dinos, uh, proceeded to celebrate by lifting a giant sword into the air. It's and they so celebrated cool. with a giant sword. If you haven't seen it, I implore you to look it up. It is incredible. It is so cool. Um, everything is better in Korea, and that's all I'm going to say. So like, cool. It is just a gigantic sword. It's like a scene out of freaking Zelda. It's like... I'm not saying the NC Dinos are better than the Dodgers, but the Dodgers didn't celebrate the World Series with the Giants sword. They celebrated by getting COVID. So, <laughs> NC Dinos, whose mascot, by the way, is a dinosaur named Big Swole. I kid you not. Swole Daddy. I like Swole Daddy a little more. I, th- I think you're not doing it justice unless you say Swole Daddy. <laughs> Swole Daddy is amazing, yes. So, regardless, <laughs> uh, shout out to the NC Dinos, uh, your 2020 champions of the KBO. I'm not going to lie, dude. I've seen so many ads for the KBO on ESPN like recently after the MLB season was over. And I kept thinking, I was like, how long is the KBO season? <laughs> not that so, long. I mean, they like play a lot. Forever. They play a lot less games. They just, uh, it was more spread out. What, they went through, they went from, what, May, I think? They started in yeah. May? Well, they typically play less games because Major League Baseball typically does 162, but this year I think they played more because MLB decided to only do 60. I guess it's because it started so early in COVID and COVID seemed like forever that it just felt yeah. like the KBO season just wouldn't end. <laughs> yeah, this year has been been weird. <laughs> but shout out to the Dinos, uh, the true champions of baseball. And... That's all we've got for you today. So for Josh, for Bradley, thank you guys for being on the show as always. And to our lovely listeners, thank you for tuning in and letting us uh, bless your ears. Uh, So our next episode, we'll be back again, uh, presumably sometime next week with our free agency special. And we'll see you with that. So 
Until then, y'all stay safe out there. It's a triple play.